Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Visions for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today's date is Monday, January 13, 2013. Today we are reading from the Big Book, and we are on page 9, paragraph 6, starting with, But He Did No Ranting. Today's readers are 12 Steps, Jason P., 12 Tradition, Penny C., readers Lisa P., Judy B., Janice M., and Sally A. I might have given the year 2013, and I'll make a correction. Today's date is January 13, 2014, Monday. The reference number for yesterday, which is was Sunday, January 12, 2014, is 5765. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no positions on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery to the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Jason P. to read the 12 steps. Hello, this is Jason from Vermont, the 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step 5. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step 6. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step 7. Humbly asked Him to remove our shortcomings. Step 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step 9 made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10. Continued to take personal inventory and, when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 
Step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Jason. I will now ask Penny C. to please read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everybody. This is Penny C. from Massachusetts, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Tradition 1. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 2. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 3. The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop drinking, eating. For each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has what but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Penny. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 9. We did no ranting, which will be paragraph 6. And I will ask Lisa P. to begin our reading. Hi, this is Lisa P., a compulsive overeater from Fort Collins, Colorado. He did no ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. 
They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. That was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. He had come to pass his experience along to me, if I cared to have it. I was shocked, but interested. Certainly I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. So Bill was really deeply impressed with what Ebby Thatcher had shared with him, and it was Ebby who found relief from his alcoholism in the simple spiritual practices of the Oxford group. And the, the, the Oxford group um, offered by Ebby to Bill involved taking a personal inventory, admitting to another person the wrongs we had done, making things right by amends and restitution, and a genuine effort to be of real service to others. In order to obtain that power to overcome these problems, Ebby had been encouraged to call on God as he understood God for help. So in my own recovery, I found people that were fresh-faced and they had a clear complexion. They were able to help me by their own example. And I was deeply, deeply impressed by their example. I had to have someone that was showing me the way and giving me the solution. And um, we've heard a lot of things about Ebby, that he lost his sobriety, those kinds of things. But he did die sober. And Bill W. did give him credit. For um, He said that Ebby had been enabled to bring me the gift of grace because he could reach me at a depth through the language of the heart. He had pushed ajar that great gate through which all in AA have since passed to find their freedom under God. And I'm finding, um, having done the, the steps and um, living in steps 10, 11, and 12, I'm finding a new freedom I've never found before, and this is a miracle. This is a miracle program, and I had to get abstinent to work the steps. But this, you know, to have people that are fresh-faced and are willing to share the message with me, and I'm eternally grateful for this program, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa. Who would like to comment on what she just read? Lauren S. from Pittsburgh. I heard someone just before Lauren. Eileen. Eileen and then Lauren, thank you. Thank you so much. This is Eileen, compulsive overeater from Bedford, Mass. Wow, this is a really powerful paragraph. Um, You know, we've really watched the progression of Bill's disease up till now to when he hears someone telling him about recovery. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. A simple religious idea, believe in a higher power and a practical program of action. Don't pick up your substance, whether it be alcohol, sugar, flour, whatever it is, and trust that things are going to get better. That was two months ago he hadn't picked up, and the result was self-evident. It worked. You know, he just needed to be exposed to the 12-step program. Either he was and he wasn't willing to listen to what the solution was, which I wasn't, For 18 years, I suffered consequences because of this disease, but that was my road. Everyone's road in this program is different. He had come to pass. His experience belonged to me. 
if I cared to have it, I was shocked but interested. And that's, you know, you just have to have the interest. You know, something new, when I first came to my first meeting in 1985 or 86, I can't remember which it was now, I heard something there. The people stuffed their feelings down with their drug. Something clicked in me, but I just wasn't willing to surrender at the sugar and the flour. That's what kind of grasp it had on me. But certainly I was interested. I definitely was interested, just like this paragraph says. I had to be, for I was hopeless, and that's how I was. I was uh, finally when I got abstinent in 2004. I was desperate. My weight, my heaviest weight was 215 pounds, but it was climbing back up there. I was 163. Now uh, the evidence is there. I only weigh 122. I weigh about the same weight now that I did when I first came in, in 86. Thank you, God. He. He showed me the solution, and he gave me the willingness to surrender. So these paragraphs, paragraphs are very powerful to me. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll pass. Thank you, Eileen. Lauren? Thank you. Lauren S. Pittsburgh, recovered, compulsive reader. Okay. So in this paragraph, I can see that... <clears throat> Heavy in going to Bill, he had the idea, the religious idea, and the program of action. Now, we do know that this book, there are three parts. There's the um, spiritual solution, the problem, and the practical program. So, you know, Heavy only came to Bill with two of those parts. However, it says... That was two months ago. So Ebby worked his program, the six steps at the time, in two months. So that squashed a lot of uh, people will say, work a step a month, work a step a year. You have to be three years abstinent before you can sponsor. You have to be 90 days before you can work the step. Where is that in the book? Those are Those are great opinions of, of addicts, but it's not in the book. The book tells us you can work the program in two months. Okay, I'm not going to rant about that anymore. Again, uh, I just, again, uh, Bill said he was interested, for he was hopeless. So, and again, Bill knew Eddie. He knew him from his days. He knew that Eddie was a, was a bottomed-out drunk, and here he's different. There's something unexplainably different. And if you are just joining us on this page nine, we haven't been through much in this book in in words in terms of quantity, but what we've covered is is the addition of forwards, which talk about the growing movement, how this is welcome to anyone. Anybody can pick up this book and recover. And we went through the doctor's opinion, which outlines from a very prominent, attractive um, man who has a lot of experience and who was not a drunk, uh, basically the basics of our problem. And 
solution. So now we're on Bill's story, which is, I'm not really sure I'm one of these people, but maybe I can relate to somebody who was and who recovered. Okay, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Who else would like to comment on what was read? This is Paula. May I share? Paula, and then I heard a second person. Barbara. Hi, Barbara. Paula, then Barbara. Thank you. Thank you. And this would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Reader. You know, it seems that this day, Bill had a lot of surprises, very unexpected things. I mean, he gets a call from Ebby, and he figures, you know, and he, and he figures that, oh, well, here he was. And it was a cheery voice. Now, look at the surprise. He was sober. That's what he says at the top of the page. He was sober. And he says it in like, whoa, this is strange. But then, another surprise. So there his voice. And then he matched. The door opened. And he stood there. Well, this is not what he expected again. Fresh skin and glowing. Wow. It wasn't the way he remembered his friend. And then he said something else. Even he. And he was not in the best of places, Bill, at this point. Even he noticed. There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. And even then, his curiosity, what had happened? And then another disappointment. He passed him a drink and he refused it. Disappointed but curious. Oh. And as we go along, each time we see again, again, I was aghast. He got religion. But this one, the final thing. So he now expected again. The unexpected happened. But he did no ranting. He did no ranting in a matter-of-fact way. Now look at the way he presented himself and what happened. He told me, and then he went on, and then he went on. That was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. Now this really must have thrown Bill. It worked. It worked. This is the difference. It was more than saying it. It was more than seeing it. He understood then. It worked. Whatever happened, nothing worked for Bill. With that, I do pass. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Paula. Barbara, you're next. Press star one, Barbara. Okay, thank you. This is Barbara, Recovered Compulsive Reader. I love this phrase, and I hold on to it very often, that they had you know, told him about a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. Of course, many of us take that as a spiritual idea rather than religious, but I'll stick with the text. And I know that for me, I have to remember that it's neither one or the other. It's the combination that works. I can go on for a long time, as I did in early recovery, with a sponsor as a higher power, with a group as a higher power. But I had to come to believe, and I had a sponsor who gave me, on three different occasions, the book came to believe, the AA you know, stories of how people developed a relationship with God in addition to what's in the big book, all these stories of coming to believe. 
and she'd say, all right, you've come. You've come to with abstinence. Now you need to come to believe. Because that um, practical program of action, which is wonderful, all of the steps and doing the inventories and, and making amends and all the other things are great. But if not combined, in my experience, with a solid belief in a higher power, eventually it wears off. And just getting God without the program of action, without the steps, has led, in my experience in this program, to as they what they call, you know, fat serenity. I can, you know, be all with God and I can still have the false God of food and, and all the other behaviors that made me hate myself. So I love that reminder that it's a combination. The message was the religious idea, the belief in the higher power, combined with the steps, the practical program of action. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara. Who else would like to comment on what was read? Jason. Hi, good morning, Jason. Hi, uh, good morning. I'm Jason, a compulsive overeater out of Pensacola, Florida. I wanted to focus in on the uh, on that very last sentence where it says, certainly I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. I had been uh, traveling for work back in 2009. My second uh, child was about to be born, and and I, I was really hopeless. And um, on this trip, I ran across a guy uh, that was working with us. And during lunch, he said, man, I'm just lost like, I don't know, 100 pounds or something. And, uh, you know, had it all for a year. And I remember the feeling I had when I came across someone else that really had what I wanted and delivered it in a very matter-of-fact <clears throat> matter way. It was it was so powerful. And on that experience alone, uh, he, he was part of a commercial weight loss program. And um, just on his example, I was able to get like six or seven months into that program and drop, I don't know, about 60 or 70 pounds myself, which I later regained. It didn't have any spiritual or emotional component. But it was really the fact that his example hit me so hard. Uh, I was so impressed by it, and it gave me so much hope I, to be able to see that somebody else could actually do it. And it wasn't presented in a preachy sort of a way. It was just a guy sitting next to me at lunch and between bites telling me his story. And it was, it was, it was shocking how powerful that was. And really it, what it makes me think of is what newcomers see when they come to my face-to-face -face meetings. I'm in a smaller town, and there are two meetings, not a lot of us in them. And there's some recovery in the rooms, but I think people probably walk to the door and go, huh, I don't know. And um, so in my case, I've actually started to introduce myself. Hey, I'm you know, Jason, uh, top weight 315, today's weigh in 275, and you know, I'm trying to get down below that, but at, um, I'm trying to offer someone some hope. But I, just that personal example that this guy had for me, um, it's powerful when someone else has what you want and they're willing to share it with you effectively. Uh, it, it's, it's, there's tremendous power in that, and thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Jason. Who else would like to share on what we read before we move on? This is Leah. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. Hey, good morning. 
Melanie, thank you for your service. Uh, he had come to pass his experience along to me. If I cared to have it, I was shocked but interested. Certainly I was interested. I had to be for I was hopeless. Um, you know, pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change. And, uh, you know, here's Abby arriving on Bill's doorstep one day with a message of hope. You know, that you no longer have to live that way. You no longer have to drink that way. Um, Bill's obviously hungover and floundering in the throes of his own alcoholism. Nevertheless, um, you know, he's ready to hear what Ebby has to say. You know, sometimes this disease gets to a point where it beats us into a state of reasonableness and a seed can be planted. And that seed that Ebby planted wasn't coming from a point of frothy emotional appeal. This wasn't some physician breathing down Bill's neck uh, about the medical consequences and the damage that was occurring to his liver. This wasn't his dear wife or loved one's uh, pleading with Bill to stop drinking, that he's ruining his life and the lives of others. This is Abby relaying his own story. You know, <laughs> Bill Bill knew how Abby drank. And if Abby was staying sober, something was happening that caught Bill's attention and drew Bill in closer to Abby. Bill knew beyond a doubt that he that Ebby had lived in that strange and hopeless world of alcoholism where Bill was currently residing. And that identification process opened up a channel of communication uh, which allows the person who's still suffering to be ready for a message. You know, willingness is a one-person job. Um, the responsibility that Ebby had was only to carry the message. You know, other than that, it is it is up to Bill uh, to uh, receive that message. Ebby's stability is just coming from uh, taking the responsibility and the obligation to carry that message, and that's exactly what we do. You know, we carry a message of depth and weight. This is about language coming from the heart. Others might offer language from the from the intellect, from the from the mind. Uh, you know, some uh, psychobabble. We we have trudged these depths of compulsive overeating, or in this case, alcoholism. You know, when I share with someone that I was a compulsive overeater my entire life, that I spent almost two decades in mayhem, that this disease grabbed me by the roots of my hair and dragged me around, that I had had thousands of binges, thousands of binges, eaten out of, you know, garbage cans, uh, stole food, lied about food, uh, purged food, you know, ate until I was in a complete stupor, uh, sat in a car in a dark parking lot with pints, you know, on my lap, shoveling it in for hours until my brain and my eyeballs pounded. Um, you know, I, I know that. I have lived my life as an obese woman. I've lived my life as a starving young woman. I have lived my life uh, with the consequences of this illness. I have experienced the shame and humiliation of this illness. 
And I'm happy to declare that as a result of this program of recovery and this simple religious idea um, and implementing these steps, I'm happy to declare and to share with someone from the heart uh, that I no longer live that way. And that is a miracle. And you can rely absolutely on what I say. That's what Dr. William Silkworth shares about in the doctor's opinion. You may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves because we have been there. So this is what I think about when I, when I read that passage. I think about um, this language of the heart, that we can touch people in the way that no one else can. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. One more invitation to share on what was read before we move on. I'll take that. This is Janice M. Hi, Janice. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, just very briefly. Yes, just uh, piggybacking uh, on Leah. The first thing we have to become is hopeless. Because if I'm not hopeless, it doesn't matter who says what. You know, I have to be at that point before I get to the next step. And this is what's happening. It's a process going on. You know, we're going to see it, it, it develop, the process between steps one and two. And I love page 18 where it says, but the ex-problem drinker, the ex-problem, he's not drinking, I'm not eating anymore, you know. Uh, they're the only ones that, you know, they found the solution. They're properly armed with facts about myself. I can generally, I'm just um, paraphrasing, uh, generally win the entire confidence of another compulsive overeater in a few hours. My husband, who is a non-compulsive overeater, could never, could never help me because he hasn't had the experience. He, he can't identify with me. He'd be one that'd say, just put it, you know, push the, put, push the uh, plate away. Just don't eat so much. Yeah, okay. If I could do that, you know. I wouldn't be. So until such an understanding is reached, nothing can be accomplished because God knows how we as compulsive overeaters have tried through psychiatrists, through parents, through friends, to, but, but we find them unapproachable. And uh, this is very, very important between the two steps. Thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you, Janice. And now I'll ask Judy B. to please read the next paragraph. Good morning. This is Judy B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Massachusetts. Melanie, thank you for your service. He talked for hours. Childhood memories rose before me. I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat on still Sundays, way over there on the hillside. There was that pro-offered temperance pledge I never signed. My grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folk and their doings. His insistence that the spheres really had their music. But his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen. His fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. These recollections welled up from the past. They made me swallow hard. Okay. Bill is, is being touched as he sits there with his friend listening to the message that he has. Ebby is bringing him a message of hope. And 
at this point, Bill was hopeless, and he was ready to hear this message. You know, Ebby talked for hours, and yet it tells us before this that he didn't rant and rave. You know, he just talked about what had happened to him. You know, he told what was going on for him. And and what this did for Bill was to bring up some of the, the childhood memories that he had. And um, he thought of times that he had spent with his grandfather and how his grandfather um, <clears throat> didn't like the way some of the church people uh, acted and didn't like the way the... the um, pastor insisted that uh, he could tell him what to do. But nevertheless, I think Bill sensed from his grandfather um, a knowing that there was some uh, meaning behind this this life, behind this world. And uh, we can see that when he says that uh, just before he died, you know, his grandfather seemed fearless. I mean, he just... He had something. His grandfather had something, and uh, Bill is uh, sensing that. And these recollections welled up from the past. They made me swallow hard. So he was really, really thinking about what had gone on before him. And uh, he's sensing that hope, and uh, it's making a big difference for him at this moment. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Who would like to comment on what was read? This is Kim. Hi, Kim. Good morning. Larry. And then Larry. Good morning, Larry. Kim G. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. And I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Childhood memories. You know, I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat on still Sundays way over there on the hillside. You know, Bill is being confronted with his prejudices, you know, and what is a prejudice? You know, if you look it up in the the origin of it, Judice is to judge and pre is beforehand. So he's being offered this solution, but he's having to look at all his preconceived notions beforehand. What does that word religion mean to him? What does that word God mean to him? You know, and I grew up in religious schools, and I remember um, hearing a speaker, and it just kind of solidified why I was so afraid of this idea of a higher power. And I grew up in a Christian religion, and this gentleman said how he would look at the altar of the cross with Jesus on it, and he would say, my God, if that's what he did to his only son, what is he going to do to me? And that's what I heard in the church. Now, I'm not saying that's what was said in church. I'm saying that's what I, as a child, heard in church. I heard that, wow, if God's out to get his only son, I have to hide from God. Because if he knew who I really was, then he's going to punish me worse than the son that he loved. So I had to look at what were those prejudices. What did I believe of religion versus what did I believe of a higher power? In childhood memories, I had to also look as I came in and out of OA and in and out of OA. You know, my mother came into OA when I was 11 years old. I had a lot of childhood prejudices about what OA was. I had a lot of prejudices about OA as I came in and out of OA. You know, what were those prejudices that were holding me back? Did I really believe that food and weight was my problem? 
Did I believe that 90 meetings in 90 days was the cure to alcoholism or to my compulsive overeating? Did I believe that getting the right sponsor would save me? Did I believe that if I stared at a food plan long enough, that was going to make me happy? And I have to say, most of those answers to those questions were yes. So what Bill is confronting here is what are the prejudices that is stopping him from being open to the solution that he has seen in his friend that is self-evident? And what is going to propel him to be open to face these prejudices? We heard it in the paragraph before that he was interested because he was hopeless. Basically, the posture of the first three steps are, which are conclusions and a decision. We don't work the steps. For many years, I sat in a way thinking I was working on step one. What I was doing was I was allowing the progression of the illness to overtake me. So all step one is, is, oh, crap, I'm screwed. I've got an allergy of the body that's never going to change. I can be abstinent for one week one year, a decade, if I pick up those substances, my body is going to have the allergic reaction which is not going to allow me to stop eating. But even worse, I have an obsession of the mind that regardless of how long I've been away from the food is going to convince me that picking up that food is the best idea I've ever had. So I have a body that's not going to allow me to eat and I have a mind that's not going to allow me not to pick up again oh, crap, I'm screwed. And that is what's going to propel me to need a higher power. I'm not saying I'm going to believe in that childhood God. I'm not saying I'm even going to believe in this big book. What I'm saying is that I am powerless. If lack of power is my dilemma, then I need a power. He is going to be confronting the fact that if he is as hopeless as, as Ebby was, and Ebby has found an answer, that he's going to need a power. And that need of a power is going to propel him to step three. And step three is the decision which is going to propel us to take those action steps. So Bill is in that beginning process. So we have to ask ourselves, what are those prejudices against higher power? What are those prejudices against Overeaters Anonymous? And what are those prejudices in general in our life that are going to block us from being open to this incredible 12-step program. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Larry, you're next. Hi, this is Larry. Hello, this is Raquel. Hi, Raquel. Just one moment, I'll have you go after Larry. Yes, thank you. Hi, thank go you. ahead, this Larry. Is Larry. Thank you. This is Larry, Compulsive Overeater. Uh, from Chicago, um, yeah, this paragraph is is a terrific one for me because you know Bill is he's beginning to contemplate a little bit as I did when I was in the throes of this disease, the last days, you know, um, where I the last days of of my binge eating, or so I thought, you know, um, maybe you know Bill was to go out again and drink, and, and in my case, I was to go out again and binge, but. I began, the seed was planted by another, in his case with Ebby, and the seed was planted for me. And when I heard the spiritual message, um, I cringed. Maybe you're different. Uh, you know, we all come from different backgrounds, but I cringed. I thought, oh, 
you know, let's get to the food plan. Let's get to the, you know, let's get to the, the action as I saw the actions necessary. After all, I was playing my own God. So I was going to analyze it, <clears throat> evaluate it, pick and choose as if from a salad bar, pick and choose what I wanted. But Bill began to contemplate. For me, you know, my history did not feel very good in relation to spiritual notions and concepts, conceptions, um, because the prism in which I, I saw spiritual, spirituality, maybe Bill was a little different, maybe you're a little different, but I saw it through a prism that that was for the crazy, how ironic, and that was for the insane, to believe in something you can't see, you know, it's like a cartoon or something. Well, you know, um, how dark it was before the dawn, but I, like Bill, I was always a believer in some power greater than myself. I just didn't think it would have anything at all to do with an issue like this lack of control um, with eating and all the problems, because I really did have a problem with life. So um, when I hear this, it, it, softens, it softened my heart the first time I read it. I don't know about you, but, um, and my heart began to soften, but not at first. I wanted to go out and research this spiritual concept a little more and see if indeed this was this was true. But through desperation, and as it was often said, through the disease which whipped me good, it, it, it had me licked. I remember people used to say in the terms, you know, are, are you licked already? Not a word we necessarily use in that same concept, but are you beaten down? Have you had enough? You know, is the fight over? Not for me, it wasn't. Not yet. The disease would, would beat me up and pummel me a little more. And then I was as open to spiritual concepts as the dying could be. And then I began to pick up the spiritual toolkit, as Bill did eventually. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Raquel, you're next. Yes, hello. <laughs> hello, thank you for your service. And hi to all my brothers and sisters online. Um, can you hear me okay? I can. Thank you. Hello? Hello, you yes, I can okay? hear you very well. Thank you very, very much. Well, <clears throat> well, there's quite a few things, but this sentence, they made me swallow hard. As he remembers his grandpa and his fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died, uh, so that his grandpa... His grandpa was the main figure in his life, you know, if, uh, for all those who read or didn't read, you know, some literature around uh, in the book, uh, Pass It On, the story of Bill Wilson, um, you know, and he, he really was raised by this grandpa and he admired and adored him. And his grandpa on his deathbed was fearless. You know, as a child, of course, he didn't know whether he was really fearless or he was whistling in front of the dark facing him. But for him, his grandpa's opinions were it. And now he has to prejudices, you know, he has to discard it. And I remember from my life and my thinking about food and what food for, was for us in, in my home, and when I had to discard some of that, uh, Eastern European cooking that is not for me, and do something else, uh, it, it's, it, you do swallow hard, of course, but not just that, 
but going back to that to that book that details more about this phase of um, of bills when he really is hitting bottom in in this book it says that as he was reading um, the book by William James which is mentioned in our literature uh, on page 2627 uh, Roland has it uh, with dr. Jung telling him, you know, to that this is, you know, this is the book, and this is the book that Abby brought for to him to the hospital, uh, the variety of religious experiences, um, and really in connection to what Leah said before, um, Bill says uh, that as he was reading the variety of these experiences, he says there were three common denominators in the case histories. The first was calamity. Each person James described had met, had met utter defeat in some vital area of his life. All human resources had failed to solve his problem. Each person had been utterly desperate. That's what we call the gift of desperation. The next common point was admission of defeat. Each of the individuals acknowledged his own defeat as utter and absolute. And the third was and appeal to a higher power. And here we see, you know, he's coming very close to it. There will still be the hospitalization and all the incredible spiritual awakening, but he's, he's hitting these spots one by one. And I can't thank you enough for being there. Uh, you, you are brightening my day and brightening my life, and hopefully, and really it is happening here in Israel for us, for many others. There's great, great hope and vision here. And thank you so, so much for going in front of this. You are, you are all of you, like a beacon of light for so many of us. The professionals don't know the first thing. I just had a hospital stay. They couldn't fathom that I cannot eat bread. Every day they come up with a different brand of bread. This is gluten-free. This is that I don't chew flowers of any color, any form, any shape, leave me alone. They can't, you know, that this, this that there is an addiction. And there's some professionals there that I talk to, but they're still miles away. Maybe in America there are already nutritionists who are, uh, who know also about addiction, but uh, here it, it still is, is not that. But um, I, I pass. Thank you so much for everything you do. I pass. Thank you, Raquel. Who else would like to comment on what was read? This is Sue from Pennsylvania. Hi, good morning, Sue. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Um, I'm going through an experience in the current day that really feels a lot like Bill's remembering his grandpa, as was said, and um, I, I'm in, I've gotten to this program in my late 60s, and I am I am a recovered member now, and I so am open to my whole life experience in this new way, and it, it is working the steps of the Big Book way. I think that that completed my journey. It's not that I wasn't on the journey all along, but I couldn't really see it. So now, here I am with my husband of 47 years, 
and we've realized we're we're stuck on some things that we need to get done that we're not helping each other and usually we've worked out our lives helping each other Allah Bill's memory of his grandfather is painful but he's going to get that idea that the God of our understanding is the one that we recovering addicts need to have in our lives. He's going to get it from his grandfather's wisdom. And it, it will happen, and it's a wonderful thing to, to see it happening in the story as it emerges in the big book. But um, I, so my husband and I have this, this trouble, and we're going to get some help from um, his um, employee assistance program. Now, I'm a professional therapist. And I've had lots of help. And I'm willing to say in my recovery that it has helped me, all of it. I wasn't open to it. That's why it didn't help me sometimes. But I remember my first therapist said to me, uh, as I was about to leave that round of therapy, he said, we'll have to find out why you have so much difficulty asking for help. Well, pardon my French, but damned if that isn't the same issue that comes up now. And, and my recovered status is what helped me to be open to it, that I simply have to stop refusing, that if I go in there and I let the addict on my one shoulder say, oh, you're hopeless, oh, you need help, oh, they can't help you, I'm not going to do anything to get the help that I need. But if I go in there and I, and I say, okay, you, like everybody in my life, can be a source of help, and that's really taking my notion of God is everywhere. That, that's part of my God. And it's a very naive formulation, but I've always had it at some level, and I'm so grateful for that. If I go there and I say, you, like everybody else that I know, or everybody else I meet today, can be a source of help to me, then I'll get help from those professionals. And I will, I will get it by saying, I understand this, but I don't understand what you're telling me. That doesn't make sense to me. Could you explain it better to me? That if I'm part of the dialogue, if I don't disappear or become overbearing, because those are both ways of disappearing, to go away, not say anything, to represent myself, or to become overbearing. If I'm just present in my true self at the moment, they will be able to help me. So I go to this source of help, and it's a great source of help. They're great people, and there's a whole bunch of people available to us, and we're open to it. So what better combination could there be as long as I don't shut down and forget about the God of my understanding? So thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sue. Who else would like to comment on what was read? Well, I would just like to add probably in a generic way what everybody else has said, but I think that my focus would be on um, bringing in from the previous paragraph, he passed his experience on to me. And I think that's a significant word when then he goes, because of the idea that it's not opinion, it's not, you know, door-to-door sales kind of thing. It's really an experience. And I believe that opening of the door caught Bill straight away that brought him to this paragraph that put him in this place of not necessarily only being able to focus on the words that Ebby was saying, but it melted him in such a way that he could reflect oh my, and identify in, oh my goodness, he's speaking about this, and I did have an experience 
oh, so many years ago in the same situation. I'm wondering if it has any connection. And then he goes on to look at other things and other influences that he had in his life to continue this continued process of just melting away all of that prejudice. You know, his grandfather even said, even when he had this, this good-hearted contempt against the, the organized part of religion and the people within it, that there was something out there. And then it tapped into this idea that I, too, knew down inside, but I stuffed it down and I smothered it down and I disregarded it. Oh, my gosh. And that it, in fact, didn't even stop until this day. And that whole idea, looking at Bill in the ego that he had and all that he had come to in this point of hopelessness, that he had nowhere else to turn and that this peace was so strong, it really made him swallow hard. Of that idea that when I do that, it's like, oh, my goodness, the truth is being told here. And whether I turn right or left, this is the truth here for the first time ever. And I feel hope in it, and I feel fear in it, and I, I'm feeling in it. And it, even in perhaps under the influence of my intoxicants, I am experiencing it as he's passing his experience to me, one to another. And I just think that's really profound to bring that forward as he's moving through all of these ideas, identifying in, finding those places with which he is speaking a true truth. And when the truth comes, everything washes away for me in my experience. I'm going to offer another opportunity. It looks like we have about three minutes before we close. So one more person that would like to share on what was just read. Hi, it's Penny C. out here. Oh, thank you, Penny C. Hi, Penny C., a recovered compulsive overreader near Boston. Um, I've been to the spot where Bill is talking about, and and the the church that uh, I think he must be referring to has a hill right behind it, quite a hill, actually, and um, leads to a, a, a actually a, a small mountain. And um, you know, it's 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 that church is right near, um, just across a, a field from the place where Bill was born, and to the other side, the place where he lived with his grandparents. And you know, it, it makes this even more alive for me, having been there. And you know, I can so. Um, picture myself sitting right there and not not being in the church, but hearing it from afar. And from this very early age, it sounds to me like Bill wasn't quite sure of of what role religion and spirituality played in his life. And and you know, he seemed to have really struggled with that right up until the time that Abby came to him. And it wasn't until he got to Towns Hospital, and we'll hear about that, where that that spiritual experience, that spiritual awakening came to him on his umpteenth admission when when everyone, including himself, thought he was hopeless. So that's that's my, my take on this paragraph, and it warms my heart to think, you know, that... that 
maybe I was like him. Maybe I was like him. I professed a strict religion and I knew all the the facts. But it wasn't until I got to OA and really got into the steps that I really believe and in my God lives in me and and uh you know I, I it's a whole new experience with the spirituality as opposed to or in contrast to religion. And with that I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. And thank you to everyone who has shared today. It is time to close the meeting. We will close the meeting with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Janice M. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Well, thank you, Melanie. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, pass.